0: Be inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation podcast network.
1: Welcome to The Health Advocates, a podcast that breaks down major health news of the week to help you make sense of it all. I'm Steven Newmark, Director of Policy at the Global Healthy Living Foundation.
0: And I'm Zoe Rothblatt, Associate Director of Community Outreach at GHLF.
1: Our goal is to help you understand what's happening in the healthcare world, to help you make informed decisions to live your best life. Today, we're gonna to continue our discussion on COVID and the recent rise in cases with the new variant that we started talking about in our last episode. But first, let's start with some news updates.
0: That's right. First on our list is some prior authorization news. So starting next month, United Healthcare says it will move forward with plans to drop prior authorization requirements for a range of procedures, including dozens of radiology services and genetic tests, among others.
1: Great, great news. United says the removals will take effect September 1st and November 1st, depending on which plan you have, across the vast majority of its plans.
0: And United Healthcare is not alone in making this decision. Other health insurance plans have stepped up and said the same thing. Cigna and Aetna announced plans to roll back some prior authorization requirements. So this is good news. We hear a lot from providers saying how it's an administrative burden and a very large time suck, time that could be spent with patients. And then we hear a lot from patients and getting delayed about their medication because the process just goes on and on. And then obviously they're not getting their medication. They don't feel good. It's like a big cycle.
1: Totally. And for the procedures that you're describing, the idea of not needing a prior off, that's a really big deal uh, for patients. Just streamline the process. So very happy to hear that.
0: Definitely. And it's great to see that other plans are following suit. And hopefully we'll have more news on that as it gets rolled out.
1: Excellent. Well... More good news. A new report from the CDC said the percentage of U.S. adults living with long COVID has fallen to 6%.
0: That's right. In early June 2022, the CDC found that 7.5 percent of Americans aged 18 and older were experiencing long COVID symptoms, meaning they were still having symptoms at least four weeks after they cleared the infection. And now the new study said by mid-June 2023, so a year later, that number has fallen to 6 percent.
1: Yeah. I mean, this could mean that in a certain period of time, long COVID just goes away. It could mean that the newer variants are not causing long COVID as much as the older ones. You know, it could be variety factors, and it's something that more research is needed to pinpoint. But all in all, obviously, this is good news.
0: The CDC report did say, though, that more than one in four, 26.4% of long COVID patients reported significant limitations in their ability to perform day to day activities. And that was currently in June 2023. And the author said this percentage had not changed much since the year before. So, what this is saying basically is that the people that it's still impacting, so, you know, that 6%, it's one in four of them are impacted on a day-to-day basis.
1: Yeah, so which brings us back to what we always like to say, it highlights the importance of COVID prevention itself. So that includes vaccines, masking when appropriate, and just staying the heck away from anyone who may have been exposed to COVID.
0: We mentioned recently in a news update on our show that the NIH is looking into long COVID treatments. So hopefully, I know 6% can sound low, but it still is a large group of people dealing with these impacts. So hopefully we'll have more answers on treating long COVID soon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, to get into our main topic, in our last episode, we spoke about rising COVID cases being seen around the country. Uh, Some places are seeing 50% or more increases week to week. There's no mistaking two things. Number one, COVID is back. Number two... It's not as bad as it was in the past.
0: Well, back, did it ever go away? But I know what you mean. It's now more prominent than it has been this summer.
1: It's like that house guest that you sort of forgot. Like, oh, are they still living with us?
0: (laughs) So as a reminder from our last episode, there's a new variant going around, which is one of the reasons why we're seeing the rise in cases. It's the EG5 variant, which is the largest portion of new COVID infections in the U.S., the good news, it's from the Omicron family. And as with other variants, it's been, you know, less lethal and more mild symptoms.
1: Yeah. So we'll see. You know, we're gonna keep tracking it. You know, we thought now would be a good time to review some basics as we deal with this next round of COVID. Here we go. Dog days of summer 2023. Still talking COVID.
0: Well, here's a good question. We're in summer 2023, the public health emergencies have ended. Like, what does this mean for insurance coverage of at-home tests?
1: A great question. So it depends on your insurance. Those on Medicaid, tests are covered until September of 2024. You have a little over a year to still obtain at-home tests. Private insurance, the coverage is now optional, so you have to check with your private health insurer. Very few are covering at-home tests. Um, If you have a flexible spending account, an FSA, or a health savings account, an HSA, you can use that money to purchase at-home COVID-19 tests. And then for those who are uninsured, there is a stockpile of free tests. And you can go to testinglocator.cdc.gov to find a location of where to get an at-home test. That's testinglocator.cdc.gov.
0: And for in-person testing, it's also just really important to check the providers in your network and check the coverage there as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Good, good point, Zoe.
0: Well, another big question I have is, do the at-home tests expire? I still have some of those free ones that came from the government. And recently I was thinking, like, can I even still use those?
1: Yeah, check the box. Expiration dates generally range on these tests from six months to two years, depending on the particular brand. Uh, The data in the box may actually be incorrect as the FDA itself extended some of those dates, saying that some of those dates were actually listed as uh, almost too soon, if you will. But yeah, definitely check the dates. And when you use tests that you have, perhaps stockpiled yourself, start with the ones that are going to be expiring first. You know, another thing to keep in mind is that the at-home tests can get too hot or too cold. You know, these tests are made to withstand normal temperature conditions from regular shipping processes. But if your test has been, you know, living inside your car all summer, you know, that might be cause to consider it uh, defective or technically expired.
0: So kind of like, you know, your medications, I know some medications have to be refrigerated, but typically for pills, it's like just keep them in a room temperature environment.
1: Right, right. You don't want to keep that stuff in your car. Things like that are something to keep aware of. You know, when you take the test, we've all probably at this point taken the test multiple times. If You get a positive, you're infectious. Don't try to talk yourself out of it and say, yeah, I don't know how accurate these tests are. Positive is positive. Full stop. You're infectious.
0: Or like may you do a second one and you think it's going to be different and it's not.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's not how it works. When they say that the tests aren't entirely accurate, it's the other way Um, in the sense that sometimes you get a false negative. But that being said... The uh, faintness of the line does provide clues. Uh, the stronger the line, the more bold it is. That means you're very contagious. If you can barely see the line, it means that you're at the beginning or the end of your window.
0: That's right. I remember when I was positive, the line turned dark like immediately when my sample hit the test.
1: Yeah, no 15 minute wait necessary. Yeah, I remember that too.
0: I know I shut off that timer nearly immediately. And then when I tested the 10 days after to see what was going on, it definitely took some time and it was very faint. So yeah, I guess just confirming that I had that experience.
1: Yeah, no, for sure.
0: So If you do an at-home test, should you be reporting this to the health department?
1: Nope, not anymore. Not really necessary. wastewater is where it's at these days. And fortunately, that doesn't require you to do anything.
0: And like we talked about with the end of the emergencies, like the way CDC has been tracking information is a little bit different. So along with wastewater, they're also looking at hospitalization as like an important indicator of the severity of COVID.
1: You know, I would also say if you test positive, you should isolate for five days at a minimum. So five days starting from day zero and day zero is the first day of symptoms. It's not the first day that you did positive. So you started feeling symptoms but didn't test for two days. I would count the zero as when uh, you first started feeling the symptoms, yeah.
0: And in terms of leaving isolation, technically the CDC says day five, but two out of three people will still be infectious. So if you do leave isolation on day five, it's important to still wear a mask. It's really best to stay in isolation until you have a negative test or it's been at least 10 days. And obviously this goes without saying wait till you feel okay, which might be a little bit longer for people in our community who tend to get a little bit more of a severe infection. So just definitely call your doctor and wait till you're okay to be out in a about.
1: Yeah. And If you're curious about when you were infected or where you were infected, it's basically give or take about 48 hours before your symptoms first began. Just a little side digression. I definitely whenever I get sick, you know, from a contagious virus, I am always thinking, where did this come from? Where did I get it? And I retrace my steps. And as my wife always reminds me, it is impossible to figure out where you got her from. So it is such an, a futile exercise. And yet I go through it every single time.
0: Especially living in New York City, like the possibilities are endless. Yeah.
1: Totally. It happens. That's part of life is getting sick.
0: And if you are infected, you know, if you're eligible, get Paxlovid, talk to your provider, also an advance of getting covid so you can be prepared and have a plan. I know when I'm sick it's like making a phone call and making a plan feels impossible when you feel so sick, So it's always best to be prepared and have that yeah. plan in place especially if you know you may not be able to reach your doctor so quickly so you could get feeling better as quick as you can.
1: Yeah, if you're lucky enough to have a good relationship with your doctor, you know, maybe you can just send him a note to get you uh, the prescription for Paxlovid and you know go from there make life that much more manageable. So how long will you have symptoms for?
0: That's a good question. Obviously, this is really nuanced given the long COVID discussion, but typically six to 12 days, maybe longer, maybe shorter. It really depends on a lot of individual factors. Having symptoms doesn't necessarily mean you're infectious. Like we said, people have lingering symptoms once the infection has cleared. And a great way to know if you're infectious is obviously, you know, to test if you're negative, you're clear
1: yeah should you wear a mask
0: well okay if you're in your house (laughs) masks work let's repeat that masks do work especially at 95 a high quality mask is really important yeah and if you're going outside you know you don't necessarily need to wear a mask if you're walking your dog let's say and you're Mm -hmm. not going to be around people but just be mindful if you live in a busy area it might be best to throw on a mask
1: Definitely. Obviously, if you live in an apartment building, you're going to go walk a dog the chances of you interacting with somebody in an apartment building are much higher than if you live in a more sparse neighborhood and you have a house. Use common sense. I think we all know. If you do have housemates, loved ones living under the same roof, definitely mask up. Definitely folks should mask up, you know, while you're still testing positive.
0: And perhaps the biggest question on all of our minds, or maybe just my mind, if you do get infected now, like how long are you immune for?
1: That's a great question. I mean, I was trying to cheer up a friend of mine who just got sick, and I said, "Well, you know, look, you probably got the latest variant, and I'll give you some protection in the coming months—something less to worry about." You know, wasn't really working because he was miserable. But you know, my non-medical thought on this is that, yeah, it'll probably confer some kind of a, a little bit of quasi-immunity. Gosh, is that is how milly-mouth can I be about saying that? But yeah, it'll probably be helpful. There is no updated vaccine just yet. We're expecting it to be available in around September, I think, is the latest. I don't know if you've heard anything differently, Zoe.
0: Yeah, I think I've heard the same as you.
1: Yeah, I would almost consider if you were to contract COVID now, I would almost consider it to be like getting a booster for now. And then, of course, talk to your provider about what it means you should actually get the fall booster when it's available. And it most likely would mean delaying when you get the fall booster.
0: Right. That makes sense. You know, so the bottom line, another COVID wave is here. Thanks to our immunity, 2023 looks very different. That's immunity from the vaccine. And like we just said, from infections, but we can always still use our go-to tools to help minimize the spread, like hand washing, distancing, masking. And yeah, we'll stay up to date on what the vaccine schedule will be for this fall.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we shall stay on top of it.
0: As we always do. All right, Stephen, that brings us to the close of our show. What'd you learn today?
1: Well, I, I was very happy to learn about the prior authorization requirements being dropped from a range of procedures from United Healthcare. So that's great to hear and great to hear that other health insurers are following suit. So good news.
0: And I learned from you about the distinctions in coverage of at-home tests, depending on what insurance you have.
1: We hope that you learned something too. And before we go, we definitely want to encourage everyone to check out all of our podcasts at ghlf.org/slash listen.
0: And if you have any questions, comments, episode topics, definitely email us at podcasts at chlf.org. I heard from a few of you this week and that was really exciting. Thanks everyone for listening to The Health Advocates, a podcast that breaks down major health news of the week to help you make sense of it all. If you like this episode, please give us a rating and write a review on Apple Podcasts and hit that subscribe button wherever you listen. I'm Zoe Rothblatt.
1: I'm Stephen Newmark. We'll see you next time. Be
0: inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation Podcast Network.